You're listening to episode 22 of the Money Owners Podcast with me, Morgan Rochard. Money Owners is a podcast for people who want to be mentally and financially crushing it. This podcast does not provide investment advice and nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued to be investment advice. If you'd like more information about Money Owners Coaching, the podcast, the homework, and everything I have to offer, visit moneyowners.com. What is happening, my fellow money owners? Um, I'm excited. It's uh, episode 22, and today is all about your kids. And I was thinking while I was starting to um, prepare the notes for this um, for this particular podcast, there's that show, Bye Bye Birdie, um, and there's a song in there that's like, kids... What's the matter with kids these days? Bum, bum, bum. Um, and it's like running through my head. But there's a specific line that's like <laughs> noisy, lazy, disobedient loafers. Um, and yeah, so let's get into it with your kids. I'm sure your kids are not lazy or disobedient or a loafer, but they probably are too in some regards. Um, but we love them, right? And we do stuff for them. And I um, particularly feel like I can talk about this now that I actually have a child. Um when I first became a financial planner, that was about five years ago now, um, I had advice for parents, of course, as a non-parent, not even married at the time. And um, I thought I knew everything because I know all this stuff about money and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to handle it. Um, and I was obviously giving like terrible advice to parents about their children because it, everything changes when you have one. Um, and now that we have our son, who is 18 months old as I'm recording this, um, yeah, things are a little bit different. And I actually, I finally understand why we spend so much money on our children. And it's because we love them. And I actually think it's like in our DNA, it's biological. Um, obviously, when <laughs> when there were like cavemen running around and there was no coinage, um, you know, spending money on your children wasn't a thing. But, you know, there are certain things that I, I do truly believe are timeless throughout throughout our history, um, and providing for your family is certainly one of them, right? Because the whole reason why we are here and have populated the earth is because we do things to propagate the species, right? So in a way now, our way of doing that, our way of making sure that the next generation lives on and that the next generation is better than a gener the generation that came before them is by doing all of these things for our children. Um, and I see it a lot today. I see it with like the, the parents that I work with, like they want to put their kids in enriching activities and they want to make sure that they're learning all the best things and they want them to go to camp and have the experiences they want to save for college. They want them to have the college experience that they got to have. Um, you know, they want them to have a really enriching, fulfilling job later on in their life. And we do all of these things now to give our kids all of these experiences and things so that later on they have seen such a wide array of stuff that when they go to actually pick the thing that they want to do in their life, right, they've had so many experiences that they're able to do that. And that's all well and good if you've got millions and millions of dollars <laughs> and you can just spend them on your kids, right? You don't really need to pick and choose. That said, I think even if you have millions, millions of dollars, and we've kind of discussed this quite a bit on this podcast, I don't necessarily think that that's in your kid's best interest. Um, and maybe I'm saying this because my kid is so young and a parent who has a five-year-old and a 10-year-old would be like, you have no idea what you're in for, lady. Just you wait. You're going to be re-recording this podcast in five years being like everything I said in 2019 was crap. Listen to me now. And that may in fact be the case. Um, but there there's something to be said for still being choosy, 
there's something to be said for being very intentional about how you handle putting your kids into activities, right? I have this kind of image in my head um, from, I was at some family event um, and some extended family had said to me something that really, like, really stuck with me. And this was before I was even married or had Alex. Um, And what they said was uh, they are shuffling their kids around, right? They shuffle their kids to to school in the morning um, or to get to the bus stop and then they go to work all day. And then in the afternoon, like um, a babysitter comes and picks the kids up and stays with them. And then the parents get home and then they're shuffling their kids off to an activity and then they're shuffling them back and then they're shoving food in their face as quickly as possible. And then like, you know, doing homework with their kids and then their kids get in bed. And I thought about that in my own life and it sounded terrible to me. And that moment in time was like, I don't want my kids to do any activities. (laughs) I just want them to like stay home so I don't have to drive them millions and millions of places. Um, And I actually even thought about my own childhood and my own childhood was a lot like that because of where we lived. Um, It was really important to my parents that we go to a good school and the school district that I lived in wasn't particularly the best one. So um, for fifth grade and up, we did not go to school in our neighborhood and that meant driving, right? And so my mom spent a lot of time in her car and um, she even said to my grandfather, like, hey, I'm I'm buying a BMW because, like, frankly, I spend more time in my car than I do in my bed. So um, I drive a lot of models and it's really important to me that I enjoy my car. That makes 100% sense to me, right, when you're shuffling your kids around and you're doing all these things. So some of the things that I want you to be thinking about when you are, if you're already in a situation where you have kids or you're thinking about having kids and you want to do some planning around it is how do you want to actually live your life with your children, Um, we're going to have a homework on this for sure up on the website. So you can go to moneyowners.com forward slash 22 to get the worksheet on this. But that's kind of the first thing that I think is really important to think about is like, how do you want it to look? You get to decide. It doesn't necessarily mean that just because you grew up in some, you know, small town in Alabama that you have to stay in that small town in Alabama, or just because you grew up in New York that you've got to stay there with your family or vice versa, just because you're currently living in a place because you took a job there, Maybe you want to be closer to family. Maybe it is time for you to move back home, right? And these are all things that you need to be thinking about as you're doing your planning because they change many, many things in your finances. Your location is super influential on how much money you're spending, how much money you have to pay for real estate, right? We all need food and shelter and the basic needs and necessities of life, right? These are all things that play into when we raise our children because we decide that we want to raise them in a certain way. So I know for my husband and I, it was really important to us that we be able to raise our children in a place that has a backyard where it feels safe, where I don't need to feel like I'm a helicopter parent all the time because I definitely would do that in New York. (laughs) So it's important to us to leave the city. So when you're thinking about these things, and I will definitely, I'll have all the questions laid out neatly for you in a worksheet, but it's like, how do you want to raise your family? And think about it. Think about location, what you want them to be doing, where you want to be doing it. How close are the things that you're going to be doing in your community to where you actually are going to be living? How much does that cost? What are the things around you cost? What do child? What does childcare cost? Right? If you have a very young family, um, then you're going like you're going to be spending some money on childcare, um, even if you are a stay at home mom and one spouse works, right, or a stay at home dad, excuse me. Um, and one one partner works, there's usually still other things that come up where you need to have a babysitter or even send your kid to a twos program or a daycare program or anything of those sorts. And you want to know that, hey, like how close is that? How expensive is it? All of this stuff plays into when you're doing your planning. Um, 
And I think that that's really, honestly, the most important thing to think about when you're doing planning. And I see a lot of things not end so well when none of this was thought about before and decisions are being made based on where you're living and just what's accessible to you. So an example of this is um, a typical family in New York who is high income earning, right, will pay a lot for, let's say, their mortgage. And then they also aren't necessarily in the best school district. So right away, that kind of nixes out public school and they're putting their kids into private school. So if you've got money going out the door for both your mortgage and private school, like a lot of other things are going to suffer if you also want to be saving money. And that's fine if you're making a very, very, you know, if you're earning a lot of income. But for, for some people, like it's a really high amount of income, especially in a place like New York or like California or any of these really high cost of living places to be both paying for a very um, high cost of living home and then to also be putting your kids into a school that's in a high cost of living area. And then, you know, like everyone wants to take a vacation because, hey, we deserve it. And, you know, we're hardworking people. So that gets thrown into the mix. Um, and then before you know it, you blow in your budget, right? And you have no savings. And now you have a couple of kids or a few kids or however many kids that you have. And you're like, I want to pay for college, but I don't have any disposable income to save for that. So one of the other, the next thing you want to be thinking about after like how you want to envision or how you envision your family life is what sorts of things do you actually want to be paying for, for your children? What are the important things? Um, obviously to start with, right, the important things are putting a shelter over their heads and providing them with food and clothing, right? The basic necessities. And I'm not talking about like the newest Nike kicks. I'm talking about literally providing them with clothes on their body so that they can leave your house in a decent shape. (laughs) Um, yeah. And then after that comes the wants, right? Like the activities you're going to put them in, the viola lessons, the ski team, anything else that you can think of that's really important to you. Um, I know in my husband's family, it was really important that their kids learned how to sail. So all three brothers, they know how to sail. Like they were on sailing teams. Um, that's a big, part of their life, right? But sailing is one of these things that's really expensive. So if sailing is really important to you, what other things can you move around in your budget to make sure that you're still saving that 20% of income? Um, I guess I've never really brought this up before. I think in some of the budgeting um, exercises that we've done, we've never really talked about the 50, 30, 20 budget, um, where 50% of your after-tax income is spent on your basic needs, uh, 30% spent on wants and 20% spent on income. And it's a good rule of thumb. I'm sorry. I just said 20% spent on income and I meant savings, 20% put to savings or debt payments and anything else. Um, and we'll, I'll have a little infographic on, um, the website too with this. So you can see it visually. You can also just Google it. It's pretty popular. I would say that that is not the way to become wealthy, but that is the way to become financially sound for sure. So when you're thinking about having kids and thinking about how you envision your life and how much you want to be saving and what you want your life later on to be looking at, looking like, if you just want to make sure that you're you're doing the right thing for your family, a 50-30 budget is one of those things that's really going to um, improve yourself financially and everything else. Um, and I think it's a really good rule of thumb to start with. If you're looking to go farther than that, obviously saving more always, I think accommodates more optionality and flexibility in what you could do with both your money and for your family for sure. But I do think that that's a good place to start. Um, and I am mentioning it of like, we're like, when we talk about wants versus needs for your kids, it's like, where do you draw the line? 
Um, I have a family who they're the best. They like their love their kids are obsessed with their kids. They would do anything for their kids. They would literally like not eat so that their kids could eat and go to a private school and then they could be able to pay for college. That's not the situation that most people are in, right? Because they're actually willing to do that. And I've seen them do that where they will like, you know, they literally put themselves last. And I don't know necessarily if that's the best thing. And that is, that's the thing for everybody. Um, but it does work for them. But like, you kind of have to do what you say you're going to do. So if you're like, I want to sacrifice everything for the chance that my kid will have in the future, you actually have to sacrifice everything, right? You can't, (laughs) you can't say, Hey, I'm going to sacrifice everything. And then not actually sacrifice everything and just be spending all over the place. Um, That's not really going to work for your financial budget. So one of the things I do like to talk about with my clients, and that's something that you should think about and that we'll put in the homework, is where do I draw the line? Like what is most important for my kids to be doing versus what are things that like, yeah, it would be nice if we had some extra income and we were saving as much as we thought we should be. Um, What are those things that the would be nice list versus the really important list? Um, and I think it's really, it would be a good exercise for you to just have a column of like top five really important things for my kids to be doing, or maybe five is too many, maybe top three, and then have the list of like the, you know, the ongoing list of, you know, things that would be really nice for my kids to do and have and be, but isn't necessarily going to like materially affect their lives. Um, and when you're thinking about these things, really think about them. Don't just like put stuff down because it's stuff that you did as a kid. Or it's stuff that you wish you did as a kid. Because what I've been noticing about what I'm parenting is like, and somebody had actually said this to me, is like, I need to be the mother to my child that my child needs me to be. I don't need to be the mother. I shouldn't be the mother that I wanted to have. I shouldn't be the mother that I want to be. I I should be the mother that my child needs. And I think it's really important when we're putting together a plan for children to be thinking about that. of Like, what does my child actually need rather than what did I wish I had as a kid? You know, how can I vicariously live through my child? How can I push my child into the direction that I want them to go rather than the direction that they're going to end up going anyways? Um, I think we think as parents that we have a lot of influence over what we can make our kids do and say and be. And at the end of the day, right, they kind of are who they are, right? They're born with a temperament. And you, I'm sure, notice this if you have multiple children, that their temperaments are different, even though they came from the same <laughs> two parents. Um, I certainly see that with my sister's kids. She has two kids, and like they're totally different um, because temperament is just one of these things that we we can't really change, right? And that we're born with. So your kid is going to be who your kid is going to be. And your job is not to tell your kid who they're supposed to be. And your job is not to financially provide for your kid to be the kid that you want them to be. Your job is to provide for your kid in a way so that they can flourish and become the person that they they are meant to be, that they want to be, right? And you got to make the choice of who you wanted to be in this lifetime. And if you feel like you didn't do that, right, now's your chance. Just because you're not a kid, just because you didn't get to decide things as a kid, or just because your parents, you know, told you you were supposed to be a doctor, and then that's what you ended up doing, doesn't mean that that's what you, you know, you have to be in this lifetime. That's not who you want to be. Um, and maybe you do feel like the decisions that your parents made for you were really good ones, and you ended up in a great place, and that's great, and maybe you would have made them anyways. But I'm just throwing this out there because I feel like we think as parents, we have a lot of control over what our children can can do as a result of what we do for them. And we need to let go of that. And when we let go of that kind of things that that are surrounding that in your financial picture, they, they all really fall into place. Other things I wanted to talk about were 
private school. So I know this isn't really going to apply to most of America, but in um, high cost living areas like California or like New York or um, places that don't have um, public education before pre-K, right? You have to, you inevitably put your kid in some sort of private school or they're called two, threes and fours programs, right? Whatever you want to call it. These things cost money. Um, I think that there are ways around this. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. But that said, if it's really important to you that that's what your kid does, then you have to make the math work, right? And putting your kid in private school means that other things may have to sacrifice. So unless you have unlimited money, right, then that doesn't apply. Um, But if you don't, which most of us don't have, then we have to start making choices. So the choice is usually, do we want to do private school or do we want to do, you know, put them in public school and do more activities and vacations and other things with our kids? That's usually what I see with people. Um, when we start saying things like we can do everything, I usually find that you're not able to save. I think that you have to decide whether or not that's important to you. I would say from my perspective, it is important to save because saving gives you flexibility. It gives you optionality. It gives you just so many ways for you to advance your future. Um, and it's to your kid's detriment that you are putting them so much first that you have, are not seeing the big picture about your family in general. Um, I actually don't think uh, kids would want that. I think that, um, I've seen this in some of the families that I work with where, um, kids are older and they actually could understand what's going on. Um, and that you're sacrificing quote unquote so much for them and they can see the tension between their parents and they, it affects them when they're growing up, right? Like that's not necessarily the environment that you want to put your kids in either. I think that we have this like hanky-dory idea that if our kids go to private school and they have the best of everything and they are, you know, we take the vacations that we're supposed to be and we are per, like outwardly showing the rest of the world the way how perfect our family is, right? Like your kids kind of can, they know the difference. They're not stupid, they came from you guys as parents. <laughs> and if you guys aren't stupid, your kids aren't going to be stupid. And they're going to like cut through that crap like you wouldn't even believe. Like they can see through it and they sense your emotions and they know what is happening in your household. So don't think that you're hiding anything from them just because you think you're providing all of these experiences for them. Um, I think private school does make sense in certain scenarios, but I think also like it's one of those things you have to be thinking about of like, hey, maybe we don't want to live here if the school district isn't so good. Um, because that's maybe not how we want to spend our money because we want to spend our money on other things. And if where you live is really important, then, you know, other things have to give right on the other side of the budget. These are things that we've talked about where like, Hey, if you live in a high cost of living area and you're spending a lot of money on your housing, then things have to give in other areas. It's the same thing. If you're going to send your kid to private school, childcare is another thing that comes up when we talk about kids. So childcare is actually a need. Um, in some senses, right? Like any amount of childcare that helps you go out into the world and make more money um, that inevitably helps you provide for your family is what I would say is going to be put in that need bucket in that 50% category that we've been talking about on this podcast. Um, Right? Anything beyond that is a want. So for instance, right, like you are a parent, you want to work two, three days a week, you put your, you get your kids some childcare two, three days a week, you make other money as a result of that, that can then in turn provide for your family and you spend the other four to five days a week with your great, with your kids. Great. Um, a want though, however, is my wife and I want to go out to dinner and we hire a babysitter. (laughs) 
That's not a need. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. I'm saying that you should distinguish between these things. So I'm not telling you how to spend your money, but I think that there's a way of thinking about it that helps us separate what is actually a need versus a want. And when you are able to separate needs versus wants, then you're able to decide, hey, on that wants list, are these things that I really want, right? Like, I find it to be really nice that my husband and I get to go out to dinner every now and then, right? We don't do it every night. We uh, don't order in all the time. But occasionally, we drop our son off at my parents' house, and we go out to dinner, and it's really, really nice. And if my parents aren't available, then, yeah, it's important for us to hire a babysitter and do that occasionally, right? So, And if you don't have family around, then I'd absolutely say that's something that you should build into your budget because it's really important for you to have a strong relationship with your partner and to be spending time alone away from your kids. That way, you know, it's good for everybody. Honestly, I think your kids appreciate when you leave and then you come back, right? <laughs> parents always come back, though. So, right, there it's still a want though. And when you put all of these things in the want list, at some point, the wants, like they start to explode because we're human beings and we want so many things all the time. We can't help ourselves. That's just our nature, right? That's the whole reason why we're not living in rocks anymore in caves. The whole reason why we have the society that we have is because like, hey, we can do this better. We can make this better. We can have a better shelter. We can, you know, make our lives as easy as possible. And, and the list goes on and on and on. And um, sometimes when I do that, these lists with my clients, I have them list five things that they want. And the caveat is that they already have them. <laughs> I think we might've talked about this on a podcast, but then the other list is five things that they want and they don't already have. Um, and I found obviously that the five things that you want and don't already have, they're so easy, but people don't like to um, share that with me sometimes because they don't want to seem superficial. But honestly, if they did it on their own, they would like have a list of like 45 things that they absolutely wanted that they didn't want to share with their financial planner because it sounded terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, to get back to your kids, right? You could make a list like that. You can make a list of 45 things that you absolutely want for your kids and then start crossing them out. What's really important? What isn't right? You can't do all 45 things. Even if you could, even if you have millions and millions of dollars and could, you don't have all the time in the world to be doing these things. Do you want to be shuffling your kids around from morning, noon, and night and not actually spending any time with them, right? At what point do activities take over family time? So, or like even so, right? Like I know when I have a really busy day with my family, I'm like pooped at the end of the day. <laughs> can't do that shit every day. <laughs> and you can't either. Think about it. So I think these are really like you need to draw the line about like what is what's a want versus what's a need. Um, keep those things separated. And also in that category of wants and needs, are some of your needs really wants, right? Are you putting them in there because they're an actual need like basic survival? Um, I see this with like clothing budgets. Well, I need to wear clothes, right? Yeah, but you don't need to wear like, you know, Gucci clothing, right? That's a want. <laughs> um, so, you know, things like that where we say, oh, well, we need to live somewhere. So why not spend $8,000 a month on an apartment in Manhattan? Like that's also a want, right? Like you could buy, you could go and get something a little bit cheaper. Um, I think like sometimes we dump things into the needs bucket because they are legitimately needs, but we, you know, we kind of beef them up a little bit. We make them a little bit more luxurious, but they're still a need, right? Because they're in that need category. So just kind of be wary of that stuff of like, am I doing that in my life? Is some of this actually a want? Like, am I creeping over into the want category in a way that, you know, is actually affecting me in a negative way? And I don't mean to say that, like, if you're making a really good living and, you know, you're you're living within your means that you can't live in a nice place, right? All I'm saying is that we need to be deciding what is and what isn't important in our lifetime. 
Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about in regards to kids is saving for college. So this is something that comes up in my practice quite a lot um, that, you know, parents want to put away money for their kids. Um, the cost of college is obviously it's, it's gone up astronomically. Um, and the loan, the student loans are out of control and I don't want to get too much into student loans today because this is the thing about kids and spending money on kids. Um, we will have a segment on student loans for sure. Um, it's just, it's, it's super complicated and technical and I'm really not ready to do that with you yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I will. I promise I will do it. Um, anyway, so yeah, regarding paying for kids' school, so there's a number of thoughts on this, right? The easiest thing to do is, right, you have a kid, you start saving for college. Um, and the reason why you do it is because your kid's born, you have 18 years. Um, from any financial planning perspective, the earlier you start saving for things, the longer it has to grow, the more aggressively you actually can invest it because it has a long period of time to grow. And then voila, at the end of the 18-year period, you have all the money that you need for your kid's school if you did the math right. That's great. That's actually not, though, how human beings work. <laughs> so on the one hand, if you're the kind of person that can be really logical about these things um, and also have enough of the of disposable income where you can actually save an additional amount of money for your kid's school as soon as they're born, I say obviously that's the way to go because it's just like from a financial planning perspective, it's the way you will have to save the least amount of money, have the most amount of time for it to grow, and have the most amount of money at the end. Um, that said, that's not usually how it's done. So usually what happens is people have a child and, um, because they tend to do it in their, um, mid to late twenties, early thirties, right? Some people end up in their forties, but usually that's the range of like 25 to 35. They're now 40. Now people are having kids a little bit older, but income's not as high as let's say your power earning years, which are really between like the age of 40 and 60. Um, because of that, and because you're usually paying for childcare um, and other things to make sure that you have other money coming in, the issue is that you don't actually have the disposable income that you need um, to be able to save for kids' school. And what happens then is that people delay it. So, and then the other thing that I also tend to hear from people is, well, hey, I don't even know who they're going to be. Maybe they're going to be like a sports rock star and get a scholarship, or maybe they're going to be the next Einstein and be so smart that they're they're going to get a full ride to college. Or maybe they're going to be so dumb that they don't go to college. <laughs> Nobody actually ever says that about their own kids, but, you know, sometimes you, <laughs> maybe it's something to think about. Um, and Or maybe, like, they don't want to go to school and they want to start a business. Or my favorite, um, which is something I've been thinking about quite a bit, is maybe college doesn't look like what it looks like right now because it's gotten so damn expensive. So um, the the uh, rate of inflation for college had been as high as 6.5%. Um, I think right now it's been averaging around 4% for the last four or five years or so. Um, and that's the rate that I usually use when I'm planning with clients is that 4% number. But, I mean, it really has gotten out of control, and maybe it's one of those things where a lot of courses are going online Maybe your kid doesn't have to have that experience that you had going to school when you were of that age, right? Um, I think we think a lot of times in our head that like the four-year private college is the only way to go, but there, I mean, there are state schools. Your kid can do two years at maybe a community or a cheaper college and then spend the last two years at a private four-year college if they did really well during those two years. Um, Maybe we'll get to a point where they can take two years online and then do the last two years in the actual school or maybe all four years online because, you know, a lot of stuff is going online. So I don't really know what the landscape is going to look like and you don't really know too. Um, And I don't know necessarily if that means that we should delay putting some money away for your kids for school. 
But what it does mean is that maybe you shouldn't be putting it all into these 529 um, type accounts. So um, they have made a lot of incentives for people to put away money into 529s. And you can put away basically five years worth of the gift max. So that's um, in one lump sum. So when your kid's born, um, you could basically put away 75 grand um, into a, into a college fund for your kid and then not put anything away for five years after that. Um yeah, that's great. You put a lump sum in there and I'm sure it'll basically cover if when your kid's born in 18 years from now, if you use an interest rate, right, you'll have plenty of money there for the kid to go to school. But that said, it's locked up in one of these accounts and there are penalties to taking it out and not actually using it for school. So maybe it's not in your best interest to actually be doing that. Um, the state deductions are definitely worth it depending on what state you live in. If you do pay state tax, it might be worth putting the max in for the deduction for your kids, especially depending on how many kids that you have. And because these accounts are things that you can roll over between your kids, right? The beneficiary is something you can change. So, um, what I see a lot of times is that parents open an account in the oldest kid's name, right? And they put money in there, um, and the money is fungible, right? So after, um, your oldest kid is no longer using it. You change the beneficiary on the account. Now your next kid gets to use the money. Um, if your kids are very close in age and you might need to have accounts in both of their names, because theoretically they'll be going to school at the same time, in which case it'd be hard to use that account for one kid and for the name of the other kid. Um, but then again, you could just open an account and roll some of the money into the other kid's account and just have one account. It's really all the way that you want to handle it. I do advise my clients that they should save some of the money in a 529 because even if education landscape changes in the future, there are probably still um, ways that you can use that money, right? Like for online courses or for um, a state school or for anything else that you choose for your kid related to education. Um, actually, in the last tax bill, Trump passed that you can use a 529 for um for private school for your children as well. So that's something to think about if you're living in a state that actually did then go on to implement that. Not all of the states did. Um, so it got implemented on a federal level and then it was at the state's discretion whether or not they would allow um, you to actually use that money for 529. So you have to check on the rules whether or not your state is a state that that applies for. Um, so I do think it does make sense to have some money in a 529. That, that said, I don't think it makes a ton of sense to have all of the money be in a 529. There are also accounts that are called UTMA accounts. Um, these are literally trusts. So you put money in a trust for your child. That money is irrevocable. It is theirs. Um, depending on the state rules of where you live, that the um, your child can see that money as early as age 18. Um, I've never, I don't think I've seen any rules later than the age of 21. That said, I've seen these accounts get rolled over to kids as late as 25. Um, so I think it's all about whether or not your kid knows about the money and whether or not they're going to really be highly demanding of that money <laughs> and willing to take you to a court. But I mean, not that it's going to come to that, but, um, it is something to think about if you do want to create a trust for your child. Um, a UTMA is a good, easy option where you don't have to get a lawyer involved, but if you don't like the rules of how early they can access the account, then maybe it does make sense to open up a trust for the benefit of them that they can take at a later age, something that you specify. Um, which then actually brings me on to my next point, which is about inheritances. So um, if you're thinking about setting up a trust for your kids and you're going to put some rules on it, I think you need to start thinking about why you're doing that. Um, sometimes it's for tax purposes, right? Like you've made a lot of money in your lifetime. 
Um, there is a, an actual tax reason for you to be moving a bunch of money into an irrevocable trust for the benefit of your kids. When that is actually the case, usually I see extreme rules happen on these accounts where parents don't like kids to be touching the money unless they're a certain age. Sometimes that age starts at age 30. I've seen them go as late as 65. Um, one of my clients has this trust. It's like, it's amazing what his dad has done. Um, it's, some of, it's just some crazy rules of this trust where like um, partially, it gets partially distributed from when he's the age of 30 until he's 65. Um, so yeah, as the parent, I mean, you get to decide how much of a level of control you would like to have over the money when you put money into a trust that said, it's like, at what point do you trust your kids to actually make decisions with this money? Because it is in fact theirs. If you're going to create an irrevocable trust on behalf of your child, you have to have some level of trust that your child is going to do what, what you believe is going to be the right thing with that money because you raised that child and you did it to the best of your ability. And hopefully they make good choices with that money as well. Um, you can put stipulations on that trust for sure about like, you know, drinking and drug use. And I think even marriage, I've seen some trust with that in it of, you know, you don't want your kid to just touch the money until they're married. Um, certainly age is a very common, um, provision to put in there that you don't want your kids to take it. 30 is usually an age that people like, because, um, I don't know about you, but I was kind of a dumb dumb until I, <laughs> until I was in my late twenties, early, you know, thirties, I'm 33 now. So maybe I'm still a dumb dumb. I don't know. Maybe they shouldn't have given me any money at the age of 30. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, these are all things to think about when you're leaving an inheritance, but you should think about the other side of this too. I mean, I have talked to kids who have inherited money from their parents. And when we're parents, we think it's very important to provide for our children. We want to give them the best education. We want to make sure that they're set up. We want to do everything in our power to make sure that they are, you know, the best human on the planet. Um, and sometimes that also means leaving money to, um, to kids either during our lifetime or after we die. I've seen people, though, who have inherited money who don't feel that way, who feel like they did nothing to deserve it that uh, who are they to have inherited so much money when there are so many other people out there who need it more than them, right? So I think sometimes we think to ourselves that we are doing right by our children when we are providing with them with all these opportunities, with money, with trust, with with all of these things that will help enrich their lives and make them into better people. Um, and we don't really necessarily think of the consequences of some of those things. Um, it's obviously so individual. So that's why it's actually really nice to work with a planner or an estate attorney on these things because they help you work out these problems. They've seen them millions of times. You're not the only person that they've ever seen going through these things. Whereas like you and your spouse, you're going through it for the first time. You don't know really what options are available to you. You don't know what other people have experienced. I found when um, my husband and I met with our estate attorney that it was really nice. We got to talk about we talked a lot about, I mean, we didn't create, we don't, you know, have tons of money where we're leaving money to our trust for a trust to our kids in our lifetime. Right. But we both have life insurance. And if let's say we were in an accident and both of us died, our son would be in the inheritance of two life insurance policies. And the policies that we have in place are actually there for the other person in the relationship to provide for the rest of the family. It's not there so that like our children get these giant inheritances. And we really had to think about how we wanted to tackle that problem and what we wanted to, it to look like if we did die. Um, and these are not things, these are not things you're going to be able to work out if you go on legal zoom, right. Or if you don't actually have a conversation with an attorney or you don't actually have a conversation with a financial planner, you're not going to be able to sort these things out in an objective way when it's just you and your spouse who are in your heads, who can't see it as a third party, who aren't objective about your, about your personal situation. These are really like real reasons why you would want to work with another individual who has a lot of experience in this arena. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I hope we cut, co we covered quite a bit and I know I, I actually talked quite, 
quite a bit fast on this podcast. Sorry about that. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, kids, it's, it's a balancing act, right? Like we want to do enough for our kids. We want to, we want to do the right thing. We want to be there for our children. We want to provide for them. We want to, you know, have the disposable income to do the things that really create good experiences that make lasting memories that really like take our family and everything else to the next level. We want to make sure that we provide so that future generations have everything that they need. Right. But at the same time, like you don't want to spoil your kids. You don't want to do too much. You don't want to be shuffling them around. Like I talked about at the beginning, right? Like there it's a balancing act. Um, and on the one hand, like it's great to provide as much as you can for your children. But on the other hand, like, do you really want them to feel like the, you know, the whole world is going to be handed to them on a silver platter all the time as well. Um, I think these are things that we definitely need to consider when we're raising our children, when we're thinking about how we want our money to support us in that process. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Money Owners. If you like the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. I read all of them and I would really appreciate it. And it also helps just get the word out. The more reviews, the more searchable I am. And then the more people who listen to this podcast and the more cool questions that we'll have on this podcast that people want to have answered. And in turn, the more good information you'll get to be able to do things in your own life. Um, And yeah, I really appreciate um, you listening to this show. I met two listeners of Money Owners last night at um, a Bitcoin dinner, actually. Um, and it like, it seriously warmed my heart. <laughs> like it was like the best news in the world that like two people that weren't my family <laughs> were tuning into this podcast. So, um, I really appreciate all the listeners. Um, keep listening. And if you want a topic or you have a question that you want to have answered on this podcast, you can go to the website, moneyowners.com forward slash ask Morgan with an E, or you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Morgan with an E Rochard or at money underscore owners. And I will talk to y'all in a couple weeks. Okay, thanks.